Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast about communicating effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard Greenberger, and I am woefully behind. It's been almost two weeks since I've recorded a new episode. I could blame it on a lot of things, but the main reason is that I have become addicted to Arrested Development, and I have been binge-watching it for over a week. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Today we're going to start a series of episodes devoted to nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is more important than verbal communication in difficult situations when it comes to being a trustworthy and credible source of information. Let me start by telling you a little story. Many years ago, I represented an organization that had an annual meeting up in Toronto, Canada. It happened to coincide with a decision made by the government at the time to stop providing insurance coverage for a medical procedure. The prime minister had made the announcement the morning that this meeting started, and it was very relevant to the attendees. The CBC found out that the group was meeting in Toronto and asked us to send over a representative to do a television interview. And I helped get him ready to do that interview. He was actually on a panel before experts who appeared on a live show. And although I fought against it for reasons that will become clear later, CBC forced all of the panelists to sit behind a table. And since I couldn't get our representative out from behind it, I encouraged him to lean forward during the entire interview with his forearms resting on the edge of the table and his hands open and pointed towards the camera. He did an excellent job. He was sort of a natural. He didn't need a whole lot of coaching. I was watching from the wings as they did as he did the interview, and he only once started to lean back in his chair. But before he could sit all the way back, I caught his eye and started waving my arms frantically. He got my nonverbal message, and he leaned right back forward. The other three members of the panel leaned back in their chairs almost the entire time. One had his arms folded across his chest. Another had his hands behind his head. The interview lasted about 10 minutes. The reporter asked my representative one question. It was friendly. It was a simple one, and he knocked it out of the park. The others got hammered with very difficult questions, and in a few cases, even hostile questions. Why aren't you covering this procedure anymore? What is this going to mean to the average Canadian? How can you defend this decision? Now, maybe my guy got lucky, but I would argue that he avoided tough questions because he sent the right nonverbal messages to the interviewer. He was sitting forward. He showed that he was engaged, that he was dedicated, that he was committed. By showing his hands, he sent a subtle psychological signal that he was being open and honest. In other words, his code score was very close to 100. He employed all the right techniques, combined with his sort of natural ability to do this well, and he gave the interviewer no reason to challenge him or ask him difficult questions or try to embarrass him. Instead, the interviewer fired those difficult questions at the other panelists because, in my opinion, they were sending the wrong nonverbal signal. Most academic research on nonverbal message, it started in the late 60s and early 70s with the work of Dr. Albert Moravian at the University of California in Los Angeles, UCLA. His original study, later expanded in his 1971 book, Silent Messages, concluded that the average person decides if he or she likes someone else based on three factors, words, tone of voice, and facial expressions. He also assigned a value to each one of those. And he found that people judged whether or not they liked somebody else roughly 10% based on what they said, 40% their tone of their voice, 
and the rest, more than half, on their facial expressions. Essentially, what Dr. Morabian concluded is that when someone judges whether or not they like you, they're paying more attention to how you sound and look than to what you say. In other words, what you communicate visually is more important than what you communicate verbally. We've built on that research over the last 50 years. We've learned that people pay attention to a lot more than just tone of voice and facial expressions. It's subconscious, and they're evaluating dozens and dozens of nonverbal cues as they decide whether or not they like somebody else, or in other words, they trust and find that person credible. We've also learned that while people constantly read nonverbal cues in every situation, they interpret and evaluate the cues differently depending on the nature of the relationships. Friends, family, and coworkers notice and process the nonverbal cues that you send, but give you the benefit of the doubt. You can stand behind something, you can fold your arms, your shirt can be untucked, your zipper could be down. No big deal. In these normal situations, they give you the benefit of the doubt. In other words, we go easy on the people we know and trust. But in difficult situations, when people perceive that, they're being, that a risk is being imposed on them, when they are not necessarily trustful of the people who are communicating with them, they judge every nonverbal cue in the most negative way possible. And they judge very quickly, often in as little as 30 seconds, before you even have a chance to say anything. That's why it was essential that the representative I sent to that interview in Toronto send the right nonverbal cues from the very beginning. To have any chance to win people over when they're angry, worried, and suspicious of everything you say, you need to actively and deliberately send the right nonverbal messages if you want to have any chance to show that you're trustworthy and credible. Of all the strategy, skills, and techniques we've covered and that we will cover in the future, this may be the most difficult to master because it takes both mind and body control. You have to pay attention to many different things, literally everything you're doing from your head to your toes. And you have to practice over and over again to figure out what things you're doing wrong and make them right. And what that means is practicing with a significant other or a friend or a colleague, practicing in front of the mirror, doing what all great actors do in preparation for their roles. Because when you're in a difficult situation and you're trying to communicate, Communicating effectively is a skill. And like any other skill, it requires careful preparation and rehearsal. As I said, there are dozens and dozens of nonverbal cues that we send. But the research has shown that there are roughly half a dozen that are by, by far the most influential. We're going to talk about three of them today, and we'll talk about three of them in the next episode. By far, the most important nonverbal signal that we send is with our eyes. It's the number one cue that people use to judge whether we are trustworthy and credible in a difficult situation. There are some researchers who spent their entire career studying the signals that people send with their eyes. Dozens of books have been written about how they play into the way we judge trust and credibility. Here's just one example. When right-handed people access an existing image in their minds, they tend to look to the left or up and to the left. But when they create a new image in their minds, they tend to look to the right or up and to the right. And the movement tends to be in the opposite direction for left-handed people. So when most people are telling the truth, their eyes move away from their dominant hand. And when they're lying or making up information, their eyes move toward their dominant hand. This is not 
always true, of course. This is not a perfect science. But these eye movements can have a tremendous impact on people who are judging trust and credibility. Because people, again, who are worried, angry, and suspicious interpret every signal that you send through the most negative filter possible. Unfortunately, you don't have to understand the complex intricacies of eye movements to succeed when it comes to this nonverbal cue. The trick to sending the right nonverbal message with your eyes is simple. Establish and maintain good eye contact. Don't look away. When you make good eye contact, you show that you care about your audience's feelings, that you respect them and their opinions, that you're there to listen, that you're dedicated to addressing their concerns. It can also suggest that you're open and honest. And if you don't make good eye contact, that sends all the opposite signals. You don't care. You don't respect your audience's feelings and opinions and don't want to interact with audience members. And while establishing and maintaining good eye contact is essential, whether you're addressing one person or a hundred, it's easier said than done. With one person, the most effective technique is to maintain eye contact for as long as two or three minutes, and then to look away for a few seconds before locking back in. That sends all the right signals about caring, and openness, and dedication, and expertise. And that's not easy to do. Most people struggle to maintain eye contact for even a few seconds or more. Carol Ginsey Gorman, who wrote a book called The Nonverbal Advantage, offers a techniques that can be very effective. Create an imaginary triangle on the face of the person with whom you're communicating, with the eyes as the bottom, two corners, and the middle of the forehead as the apex. If you look in this, in this area, which Gorman calls the business gaze, you get all the advantages of good eye contact without appearing to stare. But you have to be careful. If you invert that triangle, if your eyes are the top two corners and your nose is the bottom, you've wandered into what's called the social gaze. And if you look there, the nonverbal messages you send will be much different. Let's just say the social gaze is more appropriate in a bar or a business meeting. And communicating with a group of people is a little more complicated, although for some it's more comfortable. You lock eyes with one person for five or ten seconds, then you move on to the second person, five or ten seconds, and on and on and on. You don't have to go lock eyes with everyone in the room, and it's okay to go back to the same person second or third time. The key is to keep moving from one person to the next. The second most important nonverbal cue that you send is what you do with your hands. One of the first things I do when I work with a new client is to watch how they use their hands when they talk. I'm specifically looking for two extremes that can affect trust and credibility the most. One is flailing hands that totally overwhelm what someone is saying. The other end of the spectrum is motionless hands that make a person appear robotic. Unfortunately, most people fall somewhere in between these two extremes in a more natural place, but even if you move your hands appropriately and comfortably, can send the wrong signals in situations when people are angry, worried, and suspicious of everything you say. When it comes to hands, right technique is pretty simple. Keep them visible to the person you're talking to, and as often as you can, show the open palms of your hands. This gesture communicates deep subconscious messages lodged in our collective psychology. Jesus Christ on the cross, who billions of people consider to have been the most trustworthy, incredible person who ever lived, was nailed to the cross with his arms extended and his palms facing out. And religious leaders often copy that pose. They spread their arms in front of them in a gesture meant to encompass and soothe. The technique also traces back to the origin of the handshake, which most experts agree was a gesture designed to demonstrate to the person you were meeting that you did not have a weapon. 
they were going to use to hurt them, and today visible hands and open palms suggest that you're caring, open, and dedicated to all the things that you want to be in a difficult situation. Now, how do you do that? Well, when you're standing, the best technique is to hold your hands in front of your body, between your hips and your shoulders. And ideally, you'll keep your hands apart, although it's okay to occasionally touch your fingers together as long as they are in front of you. Some people I train ask if it's all right to hold something, like a pen, because it, they believe it calms them down. This can be effective for some people, particularly those who have flailing arm syndrome, whose wild hands take away from what they're saying. But generally, it's best if you don't hold anything, because if you're holding something, that's what the audience is going to focus on. It also is very common for people who are holding something to fidget with it, a pen or something else, and that immediately distracts people. They not listen. They no longer are listening to what you say. All they're doing is paying attention to what you're doing with the thing in your hand. One effective technique is to touch your chest, touch your heart. The heart embodies the love, the soul, life itself. Resting an open palm on your heart as you speak, when appropriate, sends a very strong signal of openness, dedication, and warmth. That's what to do. What shouldn't you do? Don't do anything that hides your hands. Don't stick your hands in your pockets. Normal situations, when we have this trust and credibility, putting your hands in your pockets is perfectly acceptable. It sends a signal that you're at ease, that you're relaxed, that you're competent. But in difficult situations, they, it sends all the wrong signals. You're uninterested, you're evasive, you're deceptive, or that you're even angry. Don't clasp your hands behind your back. This is known as the executioner's stance. There's a lot of reasons not to do that, but most important is the fact that if you put your hands behind your back, people can't see them. Don't clasp your hands below your belt line. This is known as the fig leaf position. It sends the signal that you're protecting yourself, that you're worried about being hurt, and it basically says, back off, I won't hurt you if you don't hurt me. Don't cross your arms. It, it can be hard not to do that. Crossing your arms is so normal, is so common in the course of normal communication. This is going to be one of the most difficult things to train out of people. Unfortunately, crossing your arms sends all the wrong signals. At least one of your hands is hidden. Sometimes people who cross their arms hide both hands. It tends to make people appear rigid and distant. You've placed a barrier between you and your audience, what amounts to a barrier between you and your audience. We'll talk about why you don't want to do that again in the later episode. And for some reason that noticed, Many people tend to turn away from their audience when their arms are crossed, and that will appear evasive. Square your shoulders to the audience, to the person you're talking to, or the group that you're talking to. Face them straight on. Don't hide your hands. Don't clasp your hands behind your head. Again, this is a relaxed way that people often communicate to one another, but in a difficult situation, the signal it sends is, I know better. Don't put your hands on your hips. When people are angry, worried, and suspicious, they'll interpret that as a, as a sign of superiority plus anger. Absolutely not the signals that you want to send. Don't wring your hands or lock your fingers together. These practices are generally perceived as aggressive, and in some cases as a lack of confidence, and therefore as a lack of expertise. It drives your code score down. Again, the basic rule of thumb is keep your hands visible between your hips and your shoulders and open them up to the audience as often as you can. And the final nonverbal cue we're going to talk about in this episode is dressing for success. When it comes to clothing, the rule of thumb for boosting your code score is to avoid anything that's going to distract people from what you're saying. So men shouldn't wear crazy ties. I don't know many 
wear ties anymore at all, or shirts with crazy patterns. And women should avoid gaudy jewelry, low-cut blouses, short skirts, again, anything that's going to distract from what you're saying. Simple patterns and solid colors work the best. When it comes to dress in one-on-one -on -one situation, common sense prevails. If you're disciplining an employee or fighting it out with your significant other, chances are you'll be dressed appropriately. In front of large groups, dress one level above what you expect the best-dressed person in your audience to wear. So if you expect your audience to be in shorts and t-shirts, wear jeans and a collared shirt. If the audience is going to mostly be in jeans and a collared shirt, wear slacks and a button-down shirt. Wear an a sports coat if they're wearing slacks. Wear a suit and tie if they're wearing slacks. I don't know any situation where anyone's ever had to wear a tuxedo, but that's based the basic rule of thumb, one step above the audience you're speaking to. I know more about how to do that for men. The right dress allows you to earn code points for caring and empathy and expertise without fearing condescending or superior. You want to be respectful. I once worked for a company based in New York that was charged with cleaning up a, an old contaminated site. We worked to pull together a public meeting at the local high school. For some reason, a lot of these difficult meetings seem to take place in high school auditoriums. We knew most of the people who were coming to the meeting were gonna be casually dressed. It was weekday evening. So we counseled our team to wear sports coats. The regulator of this site, the person in charge of the public agency that, over, that was overseeing the cleanup, wasn't in our preparation meeting. So he showed up wearing a tie. And the contrast was striking. He was not a natural communicator to begin with. He was standing behind a lectern. He used a lot of jargon. But the way he dressed only made things worse. Our clients largely escaped unscathed. The meeting went pretty well. When the Q&A started, the regulator got hit pretty hard, almost to the point where we had to call in security. So those are the first three nonverbal cues that are important to establishing and maintaining trust and credibility. Next time, we'll talk about three more nonverbal cues that are important to establishing and maintaining trust and credibility. Thanks again to Jim Cirillo for the, for the original music and to Cece Snetzinger for the original art. Until next time, always be positive. project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.